0: Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Osmond, and we're glad to have you back listening to another one of our podcasts, especially pleased today to have a guest that's going to go into some areas that we've briefly touched on in the past, but really are having an impact on customer experience management and the future of customer experience. So I'd like to welcome Jonathan Hawkins to our podcast. Jonathan, if you would welcome and introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hey, Bob, thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. So as uh, you say, Jonathan Hawkins, I'm CEO of a com- company called um, Anthrolytics, uh, and we specialize in um, really predicting what a consumer or an employee will do next. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this later on, so I won't sort of labor the point now, but it's a, it's a very unique method of uh, predicting the emotional state of every customer, every employee, every day, um, and then linking that to what their next likely behaviour is going to be. So, you know, really, I think we're we're very much at the cutting edge of CX, uh, if if not the bleeding edge sometimes. Um, and and really, I've you know um, i have sort of been a been a SaaS guy for uh, for a number of years. Um, you just, yeah always very much on the commercial side of the business so from working with sap metrics and with co-creators of MPs um through to setting up another startup after that which um still still going very successfully so yeah kind of the startup software guy really I think would be the uh, the estimation but you know with, with very little skill sets bob outside of sort of commercial and sales right um so please don't ask me any product questions today <laughs> I'm not that guy yeah <laughs>
0: promise I promise
1: unusually for the startup people it's normally the other way around right right uh...
0: right exactly (laughs) so Jonathan I'm curious that we ask this of all of our guests because our listeners are always curious about it is you know typically we don't wake up one day and say we want to go into this field and we're going to talk about some of the creative yeah. things that y'all are doing as you said but what how did what's your career path how did you end up in this in well this
1: yeah okay so so weird i mean and you're absolutely right nobody nobody wakes up particularly doing what i what i always did right which was sales mm-hmm. right nobody wakes up one morning and thinks well maybe they do nowadays they certainly didn't when i when i started my job sales was very much looked down upon and um you know we were always the poor cousin so so nobody at that point suddenly woke up and went you know what I'm going to be a sales guy and um and and very oddly what what happened to me was I I was working actually in car rental this I mean this is probably one of the weirdest how did I get to this point stories you're going to get Bob and I'll um I'll I'll try and keep it relatively brief but I I was working as a manager for a car rental company uh Alamo the obviously very you know well-known American um car rental company and um my my kind of thing i was probably mid-20s at that point and, and i was always kind of put into the failing branches to get them back on their feet again i was a pretty good sort of turnaround guy and um so i got sent into one in the center of london realized exactly why it was having the problems it was because they were dealing lots of drugs from the car wash so I fired all the car wash guys and um mysteriously and i'm not saying these two things are linked two weeks later uh somebody was hiding in the building and i got attacked right and knifed very badly so i had uh lots of stitches in my face and stabbed in my stomach and what have you um so as you can imagine after that kind of experience I was like I'm not sure kind of running these kind of car rental branches is going to be my my go forward career um and so I guess kind of out of desperation probably as much as anything I was like there must be something else I could do and I kind of um uh, somebody said well why don't you go and have a look at a sales job so I applied for a sales job got it which was in in those days, uh, the good old days of fax machines and office equipment. Um, and then after a kind of couple of jobs of so three or four years of doing that, landed in the software world um, and specifically the contact center world. So at that point, um, selling the earliest iterations of voice recording at the time in all the contact centers started having to record every call. So that was uh, obviously a good market to be in. That then moved into outbound um, predictive dialers, which is really where my interest, I think, in data and how to use data effectively, really got peaked in its to its biggest sense. And even in those days, you know, we were doing. With predictive dialing, particularly the collections houses, you know, we had an offering which was, I guess, very very basic ML, which was like best time to call somewhere, right? If somebody owes you money, based on previous history, based on other people like them, when is the best time to call them? And and now I think back on it, a very very early iteration of the type of technology that we're we're using nowadays to predict somebody's network slightly behavior, um, and and really then Bob, probably spent the next fifteen plus years. Working in the contact center space, um, you know, latterly in more the application and data side of it. So, you know, WFM, um, speech analytics. So getting more into what would now be termed the sort of CX type space um, and then had the opportunity to go and work for Satmetrics, who were the, I'm sure most of you listeners know, the people who co-created the Net Promoter School, um, along with Bain and Fred Reichald. And so um, when did that, um, had a great time there, started off running the um, European commercial side of the business, went on to run the global side of the business, um, and then was one of the four execs within the business when we exited to Nice Systems. So they bought us, oh, it must be six years ago now, I guess, something like that. Um, uh, then, then went to... Um, so sold that went to nice had to do a bit of a sort of bit of a bit of a handover period for about six months there um which was a great experience you know really really good company and um and then went off to set up a startup with richard owen who used to be the ceo of sap metrics so he and i started up a company called ocx very much b2b cx which i think is a very underserved part of the market um and again taking a lot of data predicting mps predicting account health in a way that p- people talk about it in the same way that they do with you know emotion stuff they kind of talk about doing account health but actually when you get under the covers of what people are doing it's pretty poor right um and so you know ocx seeks to solve that problem and indeed is doing so in a very very successful manner so know, yeah, that that was a great experience i then had the opportunity um just, I'd known a, my co-founder, Peter Dorrington, for a number of years. Um, and I had lunch with Peter. Oh, I had a catch up with Peter because of course, we were COVID days. It would have been lunch. It really obviously wasn't. It was probably on Zoom, I should imagine, over a coffee. But <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> know, in, in, the, in the new world. You were having uh,
0: lunch. You were just in two different places. Yeah, exa- lunch, yeah right? precisely.
1: Yeah, same old, same old, right? It's, <laughs> um, I do miss those days. But anyway, so we were, um, I was chatting and he, he talked to me about this, what he created. before. I said, Peter, what are you... Yeah, you know, what are you doing with this this thing you were working on? So he kind of he kind of went through it, um, and and this thing is what actually morphed into analytics. Because Peter had effectively spent seven years of his life, and he said he's an absolutely brilliant individual, creating an algorithm which, using operational data, predicts an emotional profile of every customer every day, um, and. And the the biggest single benefit of that um, is that you have data on every customer every day. So rather than waiting for a customer to contact you or you contacting a customer, see your traditional what I call CX program, right? Survey program, you will have data at a single point in time on probably less than 5% of your customers. Then you're going to go and try and make business decisions based upon that. And then you're going to wonder why your CX program is being defunded or canned in the in a recession. So um, what we seek to do is give people data on 100% of their customers or employees every day um, that is ever-changing, ever-useful, with key driver analysis behind it, obviously. Um, and allow them to really proactively change the trajectory of... Churn the trajectory of upsell or in the case of employees we're doing a lot of work at the moment in certainly in the contact center space um, around predicting employee attrition because of course for us it doesn't matter whether it's that individual is an employee a patient a customer whatever right i mean we we you know, it's just a, a another person to the algorithm um, and, and as long as we know what we're trying to predict at the end of the day um really really doesn't matter um so but we're seeing a lot of traction at the moment in the contact center space so so for me honestly bob it feels like i've gone back 10 to 15 years because i'm like wow i'd always vowed never get never get it back into contact centers before (laughs) (laughs) and here i am yeah they keep calling you back (laughs) here i am Uh... building building rois in contact centers it's like the good old days you know (laughs)
0: having spent many years at contact centers we all many of us said the same thing you know you spend your entire day dealing with customers sometimes not happy customers and yet you go to bed at night get up the next morning and do it all over again all over again yeah yeah. absolutely
1: and I say I thought my days of building ROIs for contact centers were gone but the the entire day yesterday I spent building an ROI for a contact center
0: (laughs) oh my gosh
1: so anyway but so that's that's kind of weirdly and and so yeah. and so oddly um and I I frequently phrase yeah say to people that attack was the best thing that ever happened to me because without that happening right I'd probably be managed, managing a car rental branch yeah. right <laughs> right and now I've had the most amazing life I've worked all over the world and so whoever that chap was with the knife never got caught but thank you sir you did me a huge favor you know <laughs>
0: Uh, that's why I asked that question about career paths, because there's always a nugget in there that tumbles out and, and you share, and you definitely had one there with the knife story. (laughs) No question about it. So you mentioned a few things. I I do want to get into a couple of, but I want to unpack a couple of things that you talked about. One is, um, if I, if I heard you correctly, you said that the B2B CX market is underserved. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. What are you hearing or seeing?
1: Well, like I, th- I think, and th- this has been the case, I think, for many, many years. If, if you think about, right, the, I mean, the most popular measure by a mile in any CX program is is MPS, right? And you you can argue the pros and the cons of it, but its biggest single benefit, frankly, is that if you're an executive, a senior executive in a big company, you it's a single measure, right? That you can look at, and it's a and it's a it's an indicator of what's what's happening, right? And why and why things are happening in the customer base, and for, and for many senior execs, that's enough for them. Um, and as I say, so you, you can argue whether it's right or wrong, and um, that's not a discussion that I think that discussion is long gone, right? I mean, it's you know I think it's two thirds of the Fortune five hundred companies are using it, if not more. So it's it's a bit of a non non topic nowadays. Um, but I think when it comes to B two B, you've got to remember that MPS was was built for a B two C environment, right? And it works on an an individual survey response from or or a a survey response at a specific point in time filled in by an individual. And that's what the MPS methodology was created on. Um, Now, when you think about B2B and you start thinking about account health, of course, that doesn't really, MPS in that instance doesn't apply. Because whilst let's say the project manager might be very, very happy with the customer success manager in your organization, you don't know whether your competitor, and I've seen this happen multiple times, your competitor has been schmoozing, and, and rightly so, the executive who holds the budget, who frankly doesn't know you, doesn't care about you, will not fill in your survey, right? Um, and so you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, great, we've got a fantastic MBS score, it's 65 for this client, customer success, go and put it in the, the tick box of, yep. Yeah, it's all healthy, it's great. Um, and then uh, as I as 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 we always used to say, I've got I've got two stories on on how accurate CSM predictions of um uh of churn are, right? Our our assessments in our executive meetings um previously were whatever forecast we got from CSMs, right, we just flip it on its head and it will be more accurate. Mm. Harsh, but true. <laughs> mathematically mm-hmm. true uh one of one of the most major software companies and i will not i was told this in confidence so i won't mention who it is but every one of your listeners will know their name ran a unbeknownst to the customer success organization ran a detailed piece of work and wrote a lot of ai predictive ai um which showed that the asking a csm to predict whether an account was going to renew or not was only fifteen percent accurate. One five. Wow. Now I have a theory on why, right? And and the theory is, customer success managers. I mean, having run in customer success teams, are generally very very nice people, right? right? And 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 in the same way as all of us do, we like dealing with people that we like, right? And so therefore, they're dealing with the people they like, i.e., the project manager, the you know the CX manager, so on and so forth completely missing the point that actually the guy who signs it off is four levels above. And they're actually quite frightened of talking to that person. Um, and he may think that you're terrible. So, so when I say that B2B, B2B CX is underserved, it's underserved both from a methodological perspective. It's underserved from a technology perspective because it's served by on a flawed method, well, not a flawed methodology on a methodology that is not incredibly suitable for B2B. And so therefore, you know, I mean, one of my big things is, look, it's very rare a single event causes churn, right? Or indeed upsell. Uh, What determines behavior is the cumulative impact of experiences. And so unless you are accumulating historical data on what every one of your customers or indeed that one particular customer who happens to have responded to you has done, then... Don't really have much of an opportunity of pre- predicting what they're what they're going to do next. So in in going back to Ocx, what Ocx does is, and and as I say I, I've just kind of stepped away to a world of advisory position. So they're they're, they're probably going to shoot me down when they hit this ball. So I'm probably about six, <laughs> probably about six to nine months out of date because I'm my head to analytics at the moment. So I'd like to make a public apology now. To uh, should I get this uh, a mile wrong? But but re- really, what they what they're seeking to do. Um, and, and I think absolutely correctly in this, and they're seeing good product market fit and traction with this, is that um, if you think about the number of interactions that any B2B company, let's just take B2B software, right? How many interactions are you going to have with a particular account, particularly a large enterprise account, right? It'll be support, projects, sales, accounts, all, all sorts of interactions. So now if you can start gathering all of that operational data and understand how that links to what you've seen in a calibration phase. And that calibration phase will be using surveys. Right. We'll be saying, okay, across a representative sample in in my account base. Right. We know that there are key drivers. We know that there is a an average MPS score of this. The system will then start aligning the operational data. So objective, and this is the key point that I was trying to make when you start asking the individuals to predict. Um, Yeah, there are a lot more things going on in their head than than there are, you know, an an ML or an AI platform's head. Um, And that now starts to predict um, account health in a very objective manner. So you now have a data set which is not only objective, which is critical in B2B, more so I think than in B2C, because there are multiple decision makers versus just one economic, um, economic actor. Then um, so it's objective and most importantly, it's ever-changing, which of course survey programs don't, particularly in B2B, because very often people are stuck in doing, you know, a 12-month cycle. Oh, well, send our, we'll do our annual survey cycle now to all of our customers, and then spend the next year torturing the data to try and make themselves relevant. Whereas when you start looking at operational data, that data starts changing daily, weekly, monthly, and you can actually start seeing people move on a trajectory. It's the same with the Anthrolytics platform. You can start seeing companies, in the case of OCX, individuals in the case of Anthrolytics, moving along a trajectory towards a particular outcome or a particular action which gives you as the organization an opportunity to get ahead of the game, be proactive, and start doing what a CX program is designed to do, Mm. which is proactively change the business and proactively change the trajectory of what your customers are experiencing and therefore what they do with you as an organization.
0: You know, Jonathan, you really, the, the comment you made on proactivity is really interesting because... When we're getting surveys, we're reacting to the survey. Yeah, absolutely, and this this shift in mindset towards proactivity is really fascinating. What in your role today with Answer Analytics, what what are you seeing in with your clients and in CX in general? Are you seeing any shifts in? I mean, there's a supply chain crisis, and there's the Ukraine war, and there's you know yeah, all I th- of that. I think, I mean,
1: it's a, it's a really interesting question, Bob, and I and I and I think of any CX pros that are listening to this, I I am going to issue again another. I seem to be issuing lots of apologies in this. Case, <laughs> but I, I'm I I don't think of myself as a maverick, but I think of myself as somebody who is is quite happy being a little bit closer to the edge of of what's happening right and, w- and what i see in the cx industry a lot um is an echo chamber um which is either people trying to make a name for themselves by being antsy right and going well you're all wrong it's all terrible or people all agreeing with each other um and and i, and I think that That is representative of a segment or or a a role within organizations that doesn't quite have the courage of its convictions. And I I don't mean that the individuals don't have the courage of their convictions, but that when it comes to the Ukraine war, the recession, blah, 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 right, it's typically the first thing to get canned, right? And the Mm -hmm. reason... I believe, and will strongly argue with anybody, it gets canned first is because you are using an infrequent dataset. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you an expression. Right. So, if the CFO, in the time of crisis, went to the CEO asking for budget, and and said to the CEO, the CEO, CEO right, okay, I want two hundred grand plus another five people to start running this project properly, right. And the, CEO, and the CEO goes, okay, that's fine, right? Yeah, um, what data have you got to back this up? Well, look, I tell you, I've got, um, what I'm going to give you as to by means of justification is data from six weeks ago, but only on 5% of the 100% data set that's actually there. And can I have my money, please? Because that's what CX people are doing today, right? They're using, in, in a worst case, data from last year, in a best case data that's at least a month out of date, that, as you rightly say, is a reaction, not a prediction, um, and is on less than 5% of your customers. And then you wonder why you're not getting a headcount signed off, why you're in the firing line, why people don't take you seriously, blah, blah, blah. All of these challenges that I see and have heard for years in the CX space. Well, we can't get the budget. We don't, you know, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> I mean, it's just, and the reason for that is your data is terrible. You're not telling the business anything they don't intuitively know already, right? You and I could sit here and we could tell you, we could pick a telco, right? And we could probably come up with the top 10 reason why people leave telcos, right? The question is not key drivers, right? Because any of us know what annoys a customer, right? We know we put the price up, it annoys them. It doesn't get delivered on time, it annoys them. The the question being, what is that customer going to do having had that experience, and as I said earlier, the behavior is is typically, with, with rare exception, the cumulative impact of experiences that somebody's had up until that point. So the question is not, do I know what annoys my customer? Because as I say, you and I, Bob, could do that for probably six industries, right? Over a couple right. of bits, And be pretty accurate with it. Because um, we've been in the business a long time. The question is, what determines... What a particular is going to do, having had a bad delivery, depends on how they feel about you. How they feel about you depends on the cumulative impact of what you've done with them previously. If you don't have that information, you're always going to be going up a blind alley, always. Mm. And so, which, which is why, you know, you look at anthrolytics, you look at OCX, you know, every single day we're taking data on you, know, you look at anthrolytics, particularly we, we take we know we understand the moments that matter that drive emotion. We we take data every day of the entire customer base or the entire employee base with a very simple marker that says which one of these people experienced one of these moments that matter and which moments that matter did they experience that goes into the algorithm that changes their emo- emotional profile so so now every day and if nothing happens just because you had a great experience last week and you gave me a you know a 10 out of 10 on my, on my MBS survey doesn't mean that a week later you're going to be feeling as happy right mm-hmm. you know you ran over the cat the following tuesday you know you got a big bill you weren't expecting nothing to do with what i did but i've got you down as a promoter and actually if i rang you up the following friday be like yeah six <laughs> because your life happened in between, so you know you you've got to take that into account. Even if you have no interaction with a the customer, their their view of you and their feeling about you will change, just because life happens. Um, right. And so and so, consequently, you you, you end up with this ever changing data set, ever changing perspective on where your customers are. On a trajectory towards things that you care about right so in as a i'm going to reference contact centers earlier you know so for every employee in the contact center which which employees are moving towards a trajectory where they're likely to take unplanned absence right which is a key indicator of then subsequently um, resigning which agents are on a trajectory towards resigning in the next 30 days and so now you can see this before they probably they even know themselves. Certainly in the case of Customer CHURN, you know, we, we did some work with um one of the large banks in the US. And on churn, they were able to get ahead of it to such an extent, almost two experiences before somebody started getting into the churn risk, they were able to intervene, right? And start pushing out loyalty messages or an apology, or not, not necessarily to go, hey, we think you'll leave us. Far from it, because that becomes scary right but really putting in place measures to say look we've got your back here we've been experiencing general service issues we do apologize about it um and start changing that trajectory and, and they saw an 11 11 reduction in churn by intervening early hmm. which is huge it is across huge, a very very large customer base right you know, and, the, and now you're
0: saying this can be done for employees as well
1: yeah absolutely. Absolutely, and 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 so your your typical you know typical ROI for that would be because I and again I I have a real thing and this is probably you know I've, I I do have Richard Owen to thank for this Richard hates ROIs right never believes them and so and so I I feel as though you know that my entire sales career I built ROIs and I, I felt I had it all knocked out of me you know ROIs are now terrible but I anyway, I need ROIs so I've, I've done them but I can't bring myself to be one of those companies who says I'm gonna, I'm gonna get five. I'm gonna reduce your attrition by five percent. I've seen survey companies say um, we're gonna reduce your attrition by three percent. I have no idea, right? How somebody who's sending an employee survey to an employee, let's just take Bob. You worked in contact centers, right? So, so right. Mm-hmm. contact centers, as you well know, are not generally in the most glamorous of places, right? So you're you're telling me that by on a wet Saturday night, right, when the football's on, football whether that's UK football or American football, the football's on, your mates are at the pub or the bar, right? And you go in and you get presented. The first thing on login is, how are you feeling today? On your happy, <laughs> smiley face, right? And by yes. definition, people are bored, right? And they just go and hit the happy face or the middle face, right? You're, you're really telling me that that is going to help you reduce your attrition by 5%. It's a lie right? It's a lie to get business, and I will, I refuse, point blank, to do it, Um, so um,
0: good for you, actually, (laughs) I I just can't, I can't, (laughs) I
1: can't bring myself to do it, which has made actually building the ROI a lot harder, but, so, so, so now the way I've built the ROI, and I think this is actually reflective of the real world, and, uh, you know, and, and, and please, anyone who's listening to this, please do feel free to pick me up on this, and if they, because I, I love being challenged on stuff like this, but, what, what I think is reflective, and I, and I say we'll just stick with contact centres because it's an easy example. <clears throat> Again, with rare exception, nobody goes and joins a contact centre for a career move, right, unless you're in management already, right, but your average agent, the only truth is they're going to move. Okay, so so let's start from that guiding principle that everyone's going to move. Um, then really your your question then as a contact centre leader is, right, how long can I keep them right can I keep them knowing that I've probably got a three-month ramp-up period which is the expensive part right training um, then when they get on the phones after that 12-week period they're not going to be as productive as somebody who's been there for six months right they're still going to be a a cost to me they're not going to be they're not going to have paid back right and they're certainly not going to be profitable in terms, and I'm still getting a productivity impact at the same time. So they're still, all the way down the line, they're costing me money. So so what I'm seeking to do, because we can provide this prediction every day for our employees, we can say, okay, well, uh, here's here's Bob, right? And 50 other people like Bob. And they're all on a trajectory that we think, right? And of course, it's an ML platform. Of course, it's not 100% accurate, right? None, None of these things are. But with a pretty solid you know sort of 80 plus percent accuracy right we th- we think that all of these people in this cohort are moving towards a trajectory where they will churn so now the question is what do you do with it we we we're pretty certain they're going to resign the good thing is of course we know why we're going back to the moments that matter right what did these people experience leading up to this point that um, means they are on this trajectory which then as a team leader gives you the information you need to be able to proactively intervene well before right and it might be look well you put me on three weekend shifts on on the trot right and you know what i had to work a day off and blah 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 blah, all of this kind of stuff Uh, but but things that can be changed so so now knowing that well, look, let me go and change Bob's shift pattern, right? And I'm going to make sure Bob's not on the complaints line for the next three weeks, right? And I'm going to make sure he's got some decent shifts within reason, obviously. Um, right. But of course, this data can be updated into the WFM platform. It can be updated into the and you know, into the regular review cycles that team leaders have with agents. And so what I'm seeking to do in the ROI is say, look, okay, if you get, this is a bit that really quite staggered me, 1,000 seat call center. Right at twenty percent attrition, which is low, right?
0: Oh, it is low, right? That,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so again, I'm trying to keep this on the low down rather than. Yeah, um, but you know, I mean, I, I I did I did one for somebody the other day who had multiple tens of thousands of seats, and had forty percent attrition, right? And the wow. figures were just staggering, as you would imagine. Um, so on a thousand seat with twenty percent attrition, if I can on average by allowing you to understand who is moving towards a trajectory of resigning and allow you to proactively intervene and keep them for another two months will save you about 20% of your staffing and attrition costs. Now, attrition will cost you, and this is the bit that got me, if you take into account ramp time, team management time, and productivity impact, on a thousand-seat call center with twenty percent churn, will cost you about four million bucks a year. Hmm. And by keeping people for another two months, you're going to save about twenty percent of that, just over. Hmm.
0: Wow,
1: it's a good ROI.
0: It's a good ROI for and, sure. And well, for I'm sure.
1: not giving away any secrets, right? I'm not changing, charging you eight hundred grand a year for the, um, you know, for the software. So, trust me, it's a good ROI. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's in six figures, but it's not 800.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and the same some, 4 million, well, we'll only charge you 8 million for the yeah, software. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm
1: only 3995, yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> right.
1: No, it's a, but, you know, but it's a huge you're problem. Right. And I don't think people kind of put it all together in terms of what is the scale of this problem. You know, 50,000 right. seat contact center, you're looking at coming up half a billion a year,
0: right? right. And there
1: are lots of 50,000 seat contact centers across the U.S.,
0: well, I think it's a fascinating subject because we just don't talk about employee attrition yeah. that much. And uh, like you say, be that in a large contact center or or elsewhere, we it's a yeah. it's a struggle. We I mean, we can't get workers today. Period across not just contact centers, okay. but uh, anyway. across every yeah. every. Uh, think, area, think about so. the
1: university, Bob. Right. I mean, are, right. a lot of the workers there. As long as we have data, right? I mean, I th- I think where we work best in, on the employee side is. Somewhere where we can get data on, on each individual and somewhere where it's not necessarily a top career choice. Right. So let's say retail, catering, contact center, that all those kind of worlds where you look at it and go, OK, relative, relatively speaking, low pay base. Relatively speaking, not a career choice. Relatively speaking, we can get a lot of data on those people. And in any of those environments, we can work really well. Where, where we would struggle would be, I don't know. Let's say, uh, right, Deloitte, Accenture, right? We don't have the data. We, you know. mm-hmm. I mean, we, we couldn't. I could. I couldn't, in all conscience, say that I can go and predict when a consultant at Accenture might leave. Right. Maybe, maybe we could. Don't know, but uh, I doubt it.
0: John, so we need, this is... we
1: need the conditions to be right for us as well.
0: Right. Right. Understood. But but I just think the whole fact that we're talking about it is really and and have the the analytics um, to go with it. Uh, yeah, and I think that's really what's been astounding. missing, right?
1: Because mm-hmm. what people have been doing is using the analytics in the contact center, which is great, right? Speech, text, da 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 and, right. and probably on an individual call basis can predict emotion way better than I can, right? They could probably get close to 100%. So probably 10, 15% better than I can. Um, but how many people out of your customer base actually call the contact center right mm-hmm. not very many proportionally. <clears throat> so now if you can do this both ends right and say okay well we're now predicting our customers and think about this as a world right we're now predicting our customers we know as somebody rings up or hits an online chat what their likely behavior will be are, are they at risk of churn Are they actually a great upsell potential? Are they actually ambivalent, right? Which is the majority of customers. Do we just push them down self-serve, right? If they're high value and we predict they're ripe for an upsell, we're going to push them straight to a great sales agent. If they're a high value potential churner, we're going to put them straight to an empathetic um, service agent who's well-tenured who could be there. And now then think of a world where actually you now also understand the emotional state of your employees to start matching people to the right type of work. Right. Why do I want somebody who I think might resign to be on the queue for customers, high value customers who are going to choose? Right. Right? I
0: mean, it's,
1: I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what we're doing today.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um,
1: and, and and it is because, to your point, the technology's not been there, right? We are, I mean, we're as I say patent pending, you know, we are the only people doing this. And but so we used to
0: use the infamous exit survey. Exactly. They had already resigned, and we let's before you walk out the door, tell us what's wrong. Right. Well, wait a
1: minute. Please tell me how rubbish I am. Just on your end.
0: Exactly. If
1: you could just put your cardboard box down for a minute. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, so, and the uh, scary
0: part about that is we actually made decisions off those surveys. So, um,
1: uh, as I say, right, and and then people wonder why. Twenty percent of CX programs are going to get cut in the next twelve
0: months. <laughs> exactly.
1: You you just answered your own question. So, but but no. But I think I think it's um, but but the challenge is going back to why twenty percent of I think that's the latest figure I saw from somebody I can't remember who it was, um, are going to get cut. Um, the reason is because, and I see this every single day. Right. And I, I appreciate that anthrolytics is very new and what we're doing is very new. Right. And there's there's, of course, a product adoption curve. But, you know, we we try and make it very, very easy for people to try it with pilots. You know, we're not you know, we're, we're not the company who's kind of saying, look, you've got to give us 200 grand a year before, um you know, before we'll think about doing it. We do we do low cost pilots. We do very low risk pilots. You know, we look at concepts like because we are so confident in our. Abilities of predicting, you know, we're happy to have conversations about risk and reward, right? I mean, in in upsell, one of the highest upsell or well, the highest upsell that we saw was actually in an emerging uh, emerging market for a telco um, where they only had pay as you go, right? So every month you were fighting competitively to get your customer back. Um, a seventy nine percent increase in average revenue per, per user by being empathetic, because let's not forget. All of this comes back to empathy. You know, eighty-five percent of customers and employees place empathy as the biggest driver of their lo- of loyalty, mm-hmm. and and that is in a ton of what I would call respected research, or, or sorry, research from respected companies like PwC, like Genesis, um, and and indeed, again, just going back to contact center, I think the Genesis data actually showed that if you resolved a problem first time with no empathy you got a way lower mark than not resolving the issue but treating the customer empathetically now everyone talks about empathy um and everyone goes oh yeah empathy is great the reality is the reason people can't be empathetic at scale is to be empathetic you need to understand how somebody's feeling and to your point until we came along and well, as I say, we, until Peter spent seven years writing a bunch of very, (laughs) very clever algorithms. So let's, let's make sure credit where credit's you. Um, You know, you just simply had no way of measuring a hundred percent of your customers and how they felt, because as we said earlier, right. I, uh, you know, I miss a delivery with you, whether you churn or not depends on how you feel about me. Um, And that simply hasn't been there to be empathetic. I need to understand how you feel, whether you're an employee, a customer, a patient, you know, whatever the application is. Um, So, yeah, I I think the technology is there. People are actually scared of it. And they're scared Mm. of it because, not for the reasons (laughs) I thought they would be scared of it, actually. They're scared of it because it is a fundamental shift in the way you think about treating your customers. And it's quite easy when you've only got data on a very small, state, it's a very small subsection of your customers very infrequently to, you know, that feels comfortable, right? We do our survey, we get it back in, we run through a bunch of analytics, and then we do our sort of monthly, quarterly presentation to the board. Um, and then we have an action planning workshop, and then we wonder why everyone leaves early or is on their phone. Um, and, then they, uh, and then we go do it all over again. Um, you know, but it's comfy, it's a routine and everyone does it. And um and actually now when you're in a world where every day I can predict which customers are going to churn, where they are along that linear path towards churn. You know, th- there's a lot of process and operational changes, and the same applies to the, the OCX platform, right? It's a very fundamentally different way, and I would argue way better way better than any standard survey CX program, right? And that's not to say that surveys are unnecessary, far from it. You know, I think there is great value in a well-constructed survey to get customer verbatims, right? To calibrate platforms like the analytics platform, to calibrate platforms like the OCX platform. You know, you can't just make this stuff up, right? You need to understand the customer, you know, what, what the customers think and feel and what they're doing. So... This isn't a case of me saying surveys are dead, they all need to go away. I just think relying on them as your sole source of data is why you have all the challenges you have in your CX program. And and I think making that shift to a constantly updating daily data set, which your executives, your operational management can actually do something with, and demonstrates a very, very solid, easily demonstrable ROI, right? It's not like we're trying to make some nebulous kind of, you know, well, Bob gave us an NPS score six months ago, and so Bob's worth 10 grand a year to us, so they're, well, 10 grand we saved. Well, really? Um, You know, doing what we do, right, it's dead easy. We, we We can prove exactly what the ROI is on every single customer, right, and the program. So, yeah. So, it possibly, is yeah constantly, it is, constantly changing data is the key,
0: right? It is really changing the way we view things, and and yeah. it's really really intriguing. Jonathan, our,
1: our scary, Bob. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Right. Oh heavens, Jonathan, our time has flown by. This is a fascinating subject, as I knew it would be when when I uh, came across your name and and what you're doing, Jonathan. If our listeners uh, want to learn more and explore some of this information how is it best to get in contact with you I'm um, I know you're on LinkedIn, I mean, but...
1: Lin- LinkedIn very obviously uh, so yep. just find me on LinkedIn Jonathan Hawkins there's also an anthrolytics um, uh, corporate page on there so feel free to follow us on there we we produce a lot of content and white paper white papers about predictive behavioral analytics so you get a good grounding from a you know an understanding point of view um for anyone who wants to chat personally very very always delighted to um to speak to people and just even if it's just you know not, not even from a sort of sales perspective but just uh you know kind of a, I'm, a, I'm a curious individual so um you know always always love hearing people's stories and how we can help uh and my email address is jonathan which is j-o-n-a-t-h-a-n at anthrolytics and i'll spell that so it's uh, a-n-t-h-r-o-l-y-t-i-c-s dot i-o so that's jonathan at anthrolytics dot i-o um, and that's the best way that'll just, just come straight to me uh, and I say f- feel free whether it's um, you know interested in having a further conversation about what we do as analytics, or indeed just um, disagreeing with me which is in, but to my mind is just just as healthy a discussion always happy to have those ones as well
0: <laughs> well and I and I love it because you're you're uh, a great guest because you're running a firm that's doing a lot of activity. And instead of talking about the firm, you're talking about strategy and new approaches. And and it's just wonderful uh, when we have guests like this. And that's why I, I love to have you on the podcast. So
1: Right. And I, I really appreciate the invitation.
0: Thank you, Jonathan Hawkins, for joining us today. We appreciate it. And this has been another episode of the All Things Considered CX podcast. I'm your host, Bob Asman. If you've enjoyed this, please share it with your network, as well as um, joining us for future podcasts, as well as my fellow podcasters on the CXFM radio network. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show. Follow me on LinkedIn and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.